All right, good morning, everybody. Oh, wow, this is tall. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, well, uh, if we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Nicole. I am the spiritual formation pastor here at Restore, and you are joining us this morning on our uh, final week of a series that we have been going through, tackling the Nicene Creed. Um, there will be a quiz after church. Everyone's going to have to recite it from memory. I know we have some former Episcopalians that are just going to nail it. Everybody else, hopefully you've been paying attention the last six weeks, right? Because these last six weeks, we have been going bit by bit, uh, kind of chunk by chunk through this creed. Um, and throughout these six weeks, we have also seen this theme of unity sort of to reoccur. Uh, we have seen this theme of unity sort of surround our conversation regarding the creed. We have seen it flow out of our conversation um, and the truths we find in the creed. And so it is no surprise that this week, as we look at our final portion, these last few lines of the Nicene Creed, we are once again going to see this theme of unity come up. And I think we are going to see it come up in a very important way. Um, I, was, I was speaking with one of our folks at Restore about this series not too long ago, and I loved what he had to say. Um, he said, you know, unity, it's a really hot topic right now. Um, everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to be about it. But unity's hard. <laughs> like, unity takes some work. And I truly could not agree more, which is why I love that these final few lines of the creed that we are going to cover this morning is, in fact, about work. These last few lines are going to be about the works of the Spirit. We are going to see past, present, and future, what God is up to, what he's doing, what he has done, what he will do. And truly, I, I don't know that there's anything more important to our understanding and our effort toward unity, is getting on the same page about what is God up to. Right? How many of our disagreements, how much of our, our conflict, of our going back and forth comes down to this foundational question of, can we even agree on what God is up to here? Like in this life, is, is he just trying to build a bunch of morally superior, self-righteous do-gooders? Is he simply trying to create pocket after pocket of holy huddles where people get to pat each other on the back, high five, we made it out of hell. <laughs> Is he trying to pave a way, make a way for our best life now? Creating our, our happiest, most comfortable life through earthly means like money or careers or esteem? I think the reality is when we gloss over, when we forget to ask this very important question of what is God up to, that's where we end up on very different pages, heck, sometimes different books regarding the practical applications of what it means to follow this God. Lucky for us, this last portion of the Nicene Creed, it's going to answer that question for us. What is God up to? And how can we, as those that believe in him, as those to seek to follow after him, keep this work at the center of our lives. Be familiar with this work and celebrate it every time that we see it. So I'm going to go ahead and read for us these final few lines of the creed. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in a little bit more. All right? He, the Holy Spirit, spoke through the prophets. 
We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, holy God, holy is your name, holy is your presence. Lord, would that holiness just surround us during our time this morning? Would it, would its aroma just be felt and smelt and, and surround us with every word that is spoken? Whether it be my words or the internal, sweet, um, unheard words of your spirit within our hearts, God, would it draw us near to your holiness? Would it help us recognize your holiness? Would we just sit in that this morning as we learn more about you and your holy, miraculous works. We pray all of these things in the sweet name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so this is what God is up to. This is the work and activity of the Holy Spirit. He spoke through the prophets. He is building and forming one holy, universal, apostolic church. I'm going to use the word universal this morning because I think this word Catholic can be a bit confusing. Right? We go straight to the denomination. That's not what this creed is referring to right now. It's, it's referring to its actual meaning, which is universal. So we're going to be using that word this morning. He is baptizing for the forgiveness of sins, and he will one day resurrect the dead and usher us into a life in the world to come. So this morning, we are going to look a little bit more intentionally at each of these works of the Spirit to hopefully better understand them and better understand what the heck they have to do with our unity and with our keeping that unity and the works of the Spirit at the center of our lives. So this first work, the actually only past tense work we see here represented in the creed, is that he spoke through the prophets. Now, Justin mentioned this last week, that the Holy Spirit tends to be one of our most under-discussed and misunderstood persons of the Trinity, and I truly agree with that. And I think one of the main reasons for that is typically when we think of the Holy Spirit or when we talk about the Holy Spirit, all of that conversation begins after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Right, we know of him as this promised helper that Jesus assured his disciples would come once he was gone. And we know that he did in fact come to indwell these disciples at this crazy moment in Acts, right? This wild moment at Pentecost with tongues of holy fire and all these supernatural miraculous works. And that's about where things start to get a little too woo-woo-y for us and we get a little uncomfy with the conversation. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit was very much present, very much working, very much active, long before Christ even came on the scene. And we have evidence of that work. We get to read of that activity, right, in our Bibles. We see through Abraham, through Moses, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Amos and all those Old Testament names right at the end that we like couldn't name if you gave us a billion dollars. Like all those guys, these were the prophets that the Spirit was working in, was speaking to and through. 
to inform God's people of who God was. They were speaking to his people of his character, of his wisdom, of his counsel, of his instruction. And so what this first work of the Spirit we see here in the Nicene Creed is reminding us of, that since the beginning of time, God has actively sought after communicating with his people. There has never not been a time that he did not want to be known that he did not want his people to know and to hear his voice. This is what God has always been and continues to be up to. He is communicating with us. And I think as believers on this side, of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, on this side of the Spirit's promised indwelling, he continues to speak to us in many different ways. I think much like the prophets, God continues to speak to us through others. I had a friend once, um, we were going back and forth about a kind of hot topic Christian issue, and we're kind of trying to figure our way through all these different opinions, all of these different thoughts, all of these different interpretations of scripture. And sort of in her frustration in that moment, she just goes, oh, sometimes I just wish I could go into a cave all by myself, just me and my Bible, and God could tell me exactly what he means. And then I'll understand, and then I'll be clear. You see, in that moment, what my friend was expressing is that the issue in hearing God's voice was too many opinions. Too many different thoughts, too many different insights. And so the solution was, man, if I can just get by myself, if I can just totally isolate my brain, then I'll hear God rightly. But the problem with that is, I think when we look at past experience, when we look at throughout history, when humans have tried as as best as we could to hear and understand the voice of God, we find the opposite to be true. I mean, let's just start with the fact that going into a cave and then coming out by yourself saying you heard the word of God is pretty much how to start a cult 101. (laughs) But more than that, I think when we look at past experience, we see that it is when we become more isolated, more insular, more particular and specific with our understanding and our hearing of the voice of God, that's when we get into the most trouble. And to be clear, you do not have to be by yourself to be in isolation of thought when it comes to God. We can be in a room of 200 people and be in isolation of thought regarding our God. We can be in a room of 700 people and have but one understanding, one perspective, one insight on who our God is and what he has to say. The reality is, if we are to ever truly, fully want to hear the voice of our God, what he is speaking to us, a God who declares himself to be the God of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation, guess who we're going to need to hear from? We're going to need perspective from every tribe. We're going to need some insights from every tongue. 
We're going to need to learn from the experiences of every nation. Now, no, what I'm not arguing is that we need some sort of like church UN to ever fully know what God is saying to us. But what I am saying is the more experiences, the more perspectives, the more insights, the more diverse of all of these things we can cram into that cave, the better. Because where those insights overlap, where those experiences start to intersect, where those perspectives start to sound a little bit unified, that is where the voice of our God is. God is speaking to us through others. And I truly believe the more different types of others we can surround ourselves with, the more clearly, the more boldly, the more beautifully we will hear the voice of our God. Another way that our God continues to communicate with us is through Scripture. Now, I know many of us have a very complicated relationship with Scripture. It has been used and abused in a myriad of ways. So for this morning... I'd like us to just take a step back and view scripture in as simplistic a way as we can. Justin often uses this phrase, God is a friend who speaks to us through our friends. I love that. And I also love that if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to belong to the Christian faith, we come from and we are a part of one of the most ancient and radically diverse group of friends ever. <laughs> a group of friends that God has been speaking to and through since the beginning of time. That's what scripture is. It is a documentation, an accumulation of how God has been speaking to our friends throughout history. Amen. Thank you. We get to continue to learn from that. We get to continue to hear the voice of God through these friends, even though they are long gone. We get to hear from their experiences, their stories, their struggles, their confusion, their arguments, their successes, their failures, their wrestling through injustice. God, where are you in the midst of our struggle? We have it all. And so as much as we get to learn and hear from God through Justin, through Nicole, through the Underwoods, through Christina and Scott, through Choi, through Jen, we get to continue to hear from God and learn from God through Moses, through David, through Esther, through Ruth, through Mark, through Paul, through Phoebe. God is speaking to us through our friends, both new and incredibly old. He is speaking to us through scripture. One final way I want to highlight this morning that our God continues to speak to us is through prayer. Which again, I know many of us have a very complicated relationship with right now. So again, we're going to view this as simplistically as we can. What prayer is, is a beautiful reminder that our God does not only want to be heard, 
prayer is the beautiful reminder that our God also wants to hear. He wants to hear us. Can we all imagine for a second or think of a friend, a partner, a roommate, a parent, a sibling who only ever wants to be heard? Anyone that has been in therapy has someone in mind right now. (laughs) Imagine what that relationship feels like. Imagine how you feel in the presence of this person when you're trying to understand this person. Now with this in mind, can we all take a moment to praise the Lord above that that is not who he is. He does not want to TED Talk your life. He does not speak an endless monologue. He wants to hear from you too. He wants you to talk back. He wants you to speak up. He wants you to ask questions. He wants to hear what's frustrating you. He wants to hear where you're struggling. He wants to hear when you're pissed off. He wants to work through that with you, back and forth, back and forth. This is what prayer is. It is our opportunity to speak back to the God who is constantly speaking to us. He is constantly speaking to us, church, through others and the diversity that they bring. Through scripture, our friends new and incredibly old, through prayer, where he allows us to speak back. Church, I truly believe that our unity is dependent on us understanding this work of the Spirit, is recognizing and living out of this reality that our God is constantly communicating with us. Can we imagine for a second if every time we heard a differing experience of God, a perspective or an insight about him that we are unfamiliar with, if every time we heard a new or different or uncomfortable interpretation of scripture, understanding of a different passage, if rather than instantly responding in frustration, in anger, in annoyance, and you're just wrong. We instead were able to approach those moments with a posture that says, God, I know you want to communicate with me. I know you are desperate for me to hear your voice. Are you trying to communicate with me right now? Are you trying to speak to me in a new way here? If so, help me hear. If so, help me to listen. I want to hear you wherever you are allowing your voice to be heard. Can you imagine, church, what our relationships would look like? What our church would look like if that was our constant posture? Our unity is dependent on this work of the Spirit that he is constantly speaking to us. 
I think our unity is also dependent on us recognizing what the Spirit of God is often speaking to us about, especially as we look at the prophets. We see that throughout time, as God is speaking through them to his people, often his speaking and his communication has a purpose. It has a point. Often what that purpose is leading toward is the instruction, is the counsel, is the calling back, is the pushing forward of a people, of a holy and set-apart people whose mission it would be to reveal this God to every nation that surrounded them, to bring and show his restoration and redemption, his perfect love, his perfect justice to a broken and wanting world. Right, when God was speaking through Abraham, it was not to inform him of the best plot of land to purchase in Egypt that's going to appreciate in value over the next 10 years. As he's speaking to Jeremiah, it's not to inform his people that the McRib was back. All right, he was speaking to them, he was speaking through them in order to instruct and counsel and offer love and compassion and also stern warning to his people as they were being crafted and molded and prepared for this mission to bring redemption and restoration to a broken world. Church, our unity is dependent on us recognizing that this is what God is up to. What started in Israel continues with the church. He is continuing to build, continuing to form and shape a people. A people tasked with the same mission given to Abraham, the same mission given to Moses, to David, to Jeremiah. Our mission is to show a broken and wanting world the redemption and the restoration of our God, the redemption that he longs for, the restoration he has made a way for through his son. He is building one holy, universal church tasked with reaching to the ends of the earth with this mission in mind. As much as he is doing an individual work in us, our God, What he is up to is doing a work in the entirety of his people, unifying them under one goal, to bring this redemption and restoration to earth, that all the world may know it. So what does this mean for our unity? Well, it means God is not only working in the Catholic Church, He is not solely working in the Presbyterian Church or the Baptist Church or the Progressive Church or the non-denominational or the Orthodox Church. No, he is working in every single heart, in every single soul that knows him, that longs for him, that is on mission for him, seeking to bring this redemption and restoration made possible through the life and death of his son to a broken and wanting world. Where that is, the work of God is. Where that is happening, the activity of God is happening. Where that is represented, so God's one holy and universal church is represented. 
What that means is that this church being spoken about in the Nicene Creed, it will have Catholics and Presbyterians and Baptists and progressives and non-denominational and Orthodox Christians. It means we get to learn from and grow from and expand our faith because of However, God's work and activity is happening, wherever it's happening, in whatever means it is happening, even if that means makes us uncomfortable. Even if that means it's something unfamiliar to us. Now, church, especially as a community like ours, where we are made up of a lot of people who have been really hurt by a lot of churches, myself included. I think there is something we need to be really careful of. I think we need to be careful that in our hurt and in our pain, we do not become the very thing that harmed us. We do not become black and white rigid thinkers who have no curiosity and refuse to see where God is moving and working. Especially if it is in spaces or through means that have previously harmed us. Even if he's working through Bible studies. Even if he's working through what seems to us these rigid and soulless repetitions of tradition. even if he's working and moving through spiritual disciplines that kind of make us cringe when we hear them now, confession, repentance, conviction. Now, I want to be clear. We have every right given to us by our Savior to dismantle and, and discredit and distance ourselves from any racist or sexist or ableist or harmful or damaging practice of the Christian church. And we should never feel forced to partake in an activity that has previously, previously been used and abused to cause us trauma or harm. But church, as we heal from that trauma, as we heal from that harm, as we rightfully dismantle and distance ourselves and flip tables, would we do so with a humility, a humility that was not afforded to us. A humility that refuses to monopolize the way that our God chooses to work, where he chooses to work. Would we instead replace any judgment any cynicism with a longing, a deep desire to simply see and partake of the work and activity of God wherever it is happening? Would we desire God to heal what needs healing, to redeem what needs redeeming, that we would able to step into that work no matter who it's with? This is what God is up to, church. He is building one holy, universal, reaching to the ends of the earth, church.
we lovingly and excitingly take part in that. Now it's at this point I want to kind of highlight the works of the Spirit we've seen so far have, have all been very communal, very collective, very kind of up here and, and branching out in a lot of different ways, right? His speaking, his building up of the church, that involves a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. And so I love that this next line of the creed is going to highlight a far more individual work of the Spirit, right? It is going to remind us just when we need it as collective and communal as the work of unity is, it is a work made possible by many changed and made new individuals. Right, this is what it means to be baptized in the spirit. It is our being made new, being given a new heart that allows us to shed off, to walk away from, to no longer be a slave to anything that would harm ours or another's flourishing. Our being baptized in the Spirit is the individual internal work that is happening that allows unity to be possible. that allows us to identify, to uproot, to lay aside anything that would keep us from this perfect unity. The selfishness that would keep us from seeing the needs all around us. The bias that would keep us from hearing the cries of our most marginalized neighbor. The pride that would keep us distanced from those we see ourselves as better than the insecurity that would keep us from the joy of the Lord promised to all who know him. When we are baptized in the spirit, we are given a new heart. A heart made of empathy and compassion, a heart of confidence and security. And the more we walk in the spirit, the more we learn how to use this heart, how to walk in its ways, the ways of Jesus that are now etched into it. We live into this forgiveness and we walk into this new way forward, this new way that is uncomfortable, that is hard, <laughs> that requires sacrifice as we shed off our old ways while harmful goodness are we used to them. But it is in this new way, it is in this baptism, that we are able to take part, to pursue this good and eternal unity. And speaking of eternal, that's what these last two lines of the creed are all about. What these last two lines do are first and foremost remind us death in this life is not the end. A resurrection is coming. And at that resurrection, the Spirit will continue his work and usher us into a life in the world to come. Essentially, all of the work the Spirit is up to now, what he is doing now, is but a preview. It's a taste, it's a sliver of what is to come in the world ahead. I want us to take a moment to hear from one of our old friends, John, and read about the revelation he was given from God about what this new world, this new life 
will look like. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the three previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. What we see here in this revelation from John is that this life in the world to come, the work of the Holy Spirit will be complete. This work of him speaking, of his building the church, of his baptizing us with new hearts, it will be fulfilled, it will be made whole. We see in this life to come, God will dwell with us, he will be with us, we will hear his voice as near to our ears as ours are to one another. In this new life, his bride, his one holy, universal church will be brought together, made perfect, adorned, presented to her groom. We will see that sin and, and pain and, and grief and death, all of it finally being baptized in the spirit will be made new. This is what's in store. This is where all the work of the Spirit is headed. And so, church, in this life, would we get ready? Would we be prepared? Would we not get to this new life in the world to come completely unfamiliar with the voice of God? Would we not get there and be annoyed, shocked, appalled, at who we see being united to us as one? Would we not be so accustomed to the ways of sin and death and pain and grief that this new life of perfect love and joy and peace and fullness is completely unfamiliar to us? No. Would we instead spend this life getting really good at hearing the voice of God? Would we get to that day and be completely unsurprised, if anything, bored at who we see being united to us? Of course, Henry's here. Yeah, I saw you at the potluck. Yeah, we did that trip together. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, let's go. Would we be so in tune with the ways of love and joy and peace and fullness that this life we enter into actually starts to feel quite similar to the life we left behind? Would we live our lives this side of eternity in a way that's going to make eternity seem really familiar? 
it's that eternity, it is going to be marked by undefiled, perfect unity. So will we spend this life, as much time as we get, looking out for, becoming part of, partaking in this unifying work of the Spirit through his communicating to us, through his building up of one holy church, through his baptizing us with new hearts into new life so that we are ready for the resurrection that is coming. We are ready to enter the life in the world to come. We are ready to experience unity for eternity. Can I get an amen? Right, I'm going to close this in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a joy it has been to reflect on who you are, on your works, on your identity, on what you're doing throughout these last six weeks, God. What a comfort it is to be reminded of these beliefs that bond us, that keep us unified, that should. Lord, as we go on from this series, as we get into the everyday of our lives, would we not forget these truths? Would they become just the markers of who we are? Would they become the foundation of all that we do? Would they be what is, what any secondary opinion, any hot take be rooted in? Would we see these as most important? Would we see these at the, as the center of our lives, God? Because we know these truths, God, we know you and your work and your presence and your activity will be the center of our eternity. Would we start to live in that way now? Would we get really good at living in that way now, Lord? And for the days that that's hard and for the days that that feels so far away, would your mercy and your grace sustain us, God? Would it sustain us through one another? Would it sustain us through the expansion and, and bigger umbrella of your church, Lord? we see you in these places, God? Will we see your work everywhere that it's happening? And will we be encouraged by it, God? Will we be comforted by it, Lord? We pray all of these things in the sweet name of Jesus Christ. Amen.